equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200, the independent politics and media podcast We're back for another weekend of current events Of which there are too many and too few Just overwhelming fucking news feeds everywhere and this is just kind of how it is as we are in a poly crisis with other adjunct crises that are of differing levels of intensity the ongoing genocide in gaza is obviously what we've been covering for the last four weeks uh we've done some midweek podcasts on that as well if you haven't had a listen uh check back in the podcast timeline we had a really good episode release yesterday uh, with my co-host Josephine and our special guest Tamim, New Zealander from Palestine. So take a listen to that. We'll talk about Gaza a little more today as well because it's a necessity uh, and that situation is is not going away. But we also want to cover some of New Zealand political news and some of the other stuff that's happening in the world. I am joined by my co-hosts Stephanie Rogers. Welcome Stephanie. Kia ora, my pronouns are she, her, and I condemn Hamas. Fantastic pronouns. Uh, and we are also joined by our other co-host, Ginny. Welcome. Thanks. Not to be confused with Ginny Anderson, um, who probably won't condemn Hamas. I do myself personally condemn Hamas. So. <laughs> yeah, that's... um. Maybe we just start there since you led us into it. This has been the big politics news story while... New Zealand's political gallery struggles to wring anything out of the coalition negotiations because the only people being leaked to are Matthew Hooten and Matthew Hooten. Uh, In lieu of covering that with anything other than uh, what hearsay, I guess, um, or a few words as David Seymour or Winston Peters leave the meeting room, they have kind of latched on to this what do, what do you call a scandal is this a scandal i i guess so you i think scandal is the right word it's definitely the word that's been used by multiple news outlets which i think is an interesting choice a very loaded word choice personally mm-hmm. yeah it seems just like a um a, an employment dispute which is showing jenny anderson is a really bad boss which is bad i want to be really clear is a really bad thing um, especially from politicians who have uh, the amount of power that someone in government has. Uh, Stephanie, you've worked uh, <laughs> within this world. Obviously, there's a lot. There has been a lot of focus on this. I, I was saying before the cast. I think there is more focus on this than there might be at other times of year. But I, I don't think this is not real. I, I think this is something that's actually happening. What's your, what's kind of been your response to this as someone who's worked in parliament? Well, I, I I feel like I have to do a disclaimer, but it's also not really a disclaimer because I also worked on Ginny's campaign in 2014 when she ran in Oharu before she ran in Hutt South. Scoop, scoop, um, scoop. <laughs> I was not, I mean, for a start, it, it was still uh, the Peter Dunn era, so we, we knew we weren't going to win. Um, Ginny was a first-time candidate. It, it wasn't like an in-depth campaign where I spent a huge amount of time with her, so I'm kind of in that weird position of knowing Jenny, not having personally experienced this kind of behavior, and a lot of people would then default to, well, she never bullied me. But I 
don't like doing that. At the same time, it's kind of weird because when you know a person, people expect you to have some personal insight into them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say uh, I, I trust the people who are coming forward and, and saying, uh, making these allegations. Um, I, I also, uh, this is always such a hard line to cross. I can also see why Ginny would probably think she's done nothing wrong because that behaviour is still so normalised in Parliament and in political parties. I was working in Jan Logie's office. I mean, can I say, there's where I'm quite happy to make a personal character reference, best boss I've ever had, (laughs) absolutely no tolerance for that kind of behaviour in our office. Um, But that was during the time when we were going through the Francis Review, um, the actually trying to get an in-depth insight into what happens. And I have to say, it doesn't sound like a lot has changed. And I'm not surprised a lot has changed because some of the fundamental underpinnings of Parliament haven't changed. The long hours people are working, the expectation that you're personally invested in your job so you'll put up with less than ideal circumstances, um, the adversarial shit-talking behaviour, the kind of assumption that everyone knows that there's a bit of a charade going on. I mean, I I will say some of the most surreal experiences of my life have been at press gallery Christmas drinks because you do just see people who the week before were screaming abuse at each other in question time just suddenly having a beer and a yarn and, oh, yeah, and and acting like... um, it, like you aren't fundamentally ideological enemies. And I guess we could also just put a pin in that of our Labour and National fundamentally ideological enemies. But when all of those environmental aspects haven't really been taken care of, I can see why someone who, um, per the, the allegations from uh, former parliamentary staffers of Ginny's, someone whose bullying is less of the screaming and hitting and more of the passive-aggressive digs via email wouldn't see a problem with that behavior and of course she should and everyone should but it's also normalized and it's still normalized even though we had the francis review so it, it's just a deeply unsurprising story at the end of the day yeah it's like and this is why i guess it's frustrating to see these stories without a deeper analysis of what's actually happening here because this could just be anyone like just about um, obviously, you, you've named at least one MP who it couldn't be, um, also because she's Never sadly changed. retired. But yeah, if you if you really wanted to, um, you could probably find a staffer for 90% of uh, MPs who have ever sat in Parliament who has suffered some form of abuse from their boss. It's a deeply toxic environment. Why why do we think it's it's happening to Labour again here? That's a good question. I think in part, the first allegation against Jenny Anderson um, came out via the parent of a volunteer. Um, and I think that that's probably one aspect of it. That wasn't an employment relationship. That's not someone who's worried, will I get a job after the election? Um, that's not someone where there's the same financial uh, disadvantage involved. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, a, if you're a teen volunteer and an MP has a go at you and your mum writes a stern letter, that's a very different situation as opposed to something where, you know, if it's an employment relationship, even if you get the union involved, things happen behind closed doors. Things happen much more as a, why don't we have a meeting about this? Um, I also think there's a dearth of news because as we're going to get to, the the parties who are almost certainly going to form the next government are fucking around and political journos are bored and antsy. And we saw that most clearly with Patrick Gower unable to cope with the concept of actually counting all the votes um, and literally making jokes about his own struggles with addiction 
which I thought was just, wow, Patrick, maybe talk to someone that isn't Twitter about that. Um, yeah, I think it's filling a gap in political media. As with all of these things, as we say, this could be happening to probably any of at least 50% of the MPs currently in Parliament. But once you get the first allegation, you frequently right. get more allegations because people want to support the first person who's made allegations. They want to say, well, actually, there's more evidence out there um, or it becomes a free-for-all dogpile. Um yeah, it's filling a gap that isn't being filled with having an actual government actually doing things. Well, I, or not doing things, as the case may be with the incoming uh, government, should, <laughs> should that eventuate, which is like on less and less firm ground. Jenny, seeing your name in New Zealand Twitter trends, mm-hmm. what was that like for you? Um, well, last night, I think Jenny, the name was trending just above ISIS. So that was... That was a really um, f- um, fun mental puzzle. But um, as is my duty, I felt as someone also named Jenny, I sort of trawled through all the news hub articles about her, of which I think there were like four in the past two days or four in the past 48 hours, some incredible amount of articles. And almost all of them kind of eventuate with one or two quotes from Rob Salmon specifically being like, basically saying essentially that Ginny's behavior was at the less serious end of what they'd normally investigate and that it was like a personality clash. So I'm like, if every article opens with like pattern of behavior, like abuse, like awful person and ends with Rob Salmon, like the Gen Sec going, probably won't investigate it. It's like, what is the point of even carrying out this? What is the point of writing this article four or five times a day? Like, what are you gaining apart from filling that space, which Steph just talked about, right? Like, there is no real political news. And so we're filling it with nothingness. It's quite ridiculous, honestly. And I guess what really frustrates me is that there is a lot of political news out there. It's just not being covered. You know, it, I bang this drum more frequently than maybe I should or definitely is more than I want to. But there's such a reliance of our gallery on getting that scoop directly from MPs or people in Parliament that and like you're seeing that just laid out for us at the moment because no one's fucking talking to them. Um it's taken as as you said, Steph, someone coming from outside that world uh to start the story. And it it's just kind of cycled off that. But without that, we probably wouldn't have this story in the first place. Mm. And I I think that's always a thing that bugs me with any issues around staffing in Parliament, any allegations that are made, because the thing is, the gallery work in Parliament. They are there all the time. They know exactly who the bullies are, if only because they know how often they have to change the details in their phone of who to call in different ministers' offices. Like, they know who's gone through staff. They know which offices have huge amounts of turnover. But there's a bit of mutually assured destruction there because these are also people they work with every day. As much as we like to think that we've got press gallery, government, opposition, parties who might be somewhere in between there, They're all working in the same building. They're all eating at the same cafe. They're all going to the same meetings. And so there becomes an element of, well, everyone knows everyone's dirt. So who wants to be the first person to pull the trigger? Um, And I'm trying to think, was it um, Judith Collins breaking the story about Ian Lee's Galloway's affair? And at the time thinking that that was kind of a, oh, oh, I see. You're, You're willing to go there. You're willing to let Labor go well. If you want to have a go about Ian, what about? And 
I mean, to her credit, Jacinda Ardern didn't do that and was like, okay, Ian, bye-bye. Not appropriate. But that's, the again, the weird kind of environment that they're in. Uh, Someone external rips the Band-Aid off and suddenly it turns out there's a lot more behind it. But if Ginny's office has gone through huge turnover, everyone in the gallery knows it's gone through huge turnover. Everyone knows who else's offices have gone through Mm -hmm. huge turnover. Everyone's heard the rumours. Everyone's had the bitchy emails if she's a person who sends bitchy emails. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just, that's a frustration for me. It's like, come on, guys, just just rip all the Band-Aids off and let's have a proper reckoning about this and let's do politics better. Yeah, well, Sorry, let's just do human relationships better, right? Mm. Um, and one, one of the things which, for some unknown reason, the media never uh, talk about is that the Francis Report went out of its way to tag the gallery um, as being a a part of the toxic environment to being when, when it wasn't part of the original uh, reporting brief. Like, yeah, as you say, they're, they're all in it together. What a sick place. That's our democracy, folks. Except for Jan's office. Yeah, sorry, that Jan. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, was being the operative word. Um, Sadly. Now it's 100% bad. No, I'm sure there are some other good people in there too. Um, and look, we have to have hope. We have to have hope, please, God. Um, but yeah, so there's been this vacuum. This is one of the things that has rushed in to fill that gap. I guess the other reason there's a vacuum is because no one in media wants to talk about Gaza, but we'll get to that later as well. Um, no one wants to ask MPs about uh, <laughs> what their stance on uh, a genocide is. Oh, that's a bit too hard. That's a bit too fucking edgy. Uh, but the main New Zealand politics story is <laughs> it's so fucking bleak. Uh, is the the master of deals, the master of mergers, Christopher Luxon, uh, just being completely incapable of wrangling David Seymour and Winston Peters into a coalition agreement. Um, Paddy Gower has, for some reason, just shut himself up now. Um, Haven't seen him commenting for the last three weeks. He's vanished like stories of ram raids have vanished. Weird that. It's It's so fucking clear, like the way the media industrial complex works uh to to build certain discourses and narratives when they want something or and you know people always um pop up in my mentions when i'm talking about how media is biased right like i'm sure we've all seen this um and it's a it's a right-wing neoliberal bias first and foremost and you can say there's any number of reasons for that like oh that's just how the system is oh that's blah blah blah. they have to sell ads but they're fucking flip on this stuff it's just immense but back to the coalition <laughs> a few days ago beginning of the week christopher luxon and david seymour were going to meet winston peters and it turns out he'd flown back to auckland um and they have to <laughs> fucking follow him around the country and every meeting so far is that there'll be a live stream up like coalition meeting happening and they all go into a room and a some fucking hotel in auckland wherever it is for the day and they come out five or ten minutes later and say oh yeah it was short but good chat and just like what the fuck is this these people are uh i hate to use the phrase deeply unserious and our our media just seems completely incapable of grappling with how to report on this Mm. or even if to report on it it's being reported i had a quick scan um this morning it's being reported very much kind of as a joke which it is, it's deeply unserious. Uh, News Hub, I, I was actually going to call our media out for not having used this idea, but News Hub, to their credit, do have a live stream of a rotting cauliflower. 
counting the days that we haven't had a government. Um, so well done. You got the Liz Trust meme going. Um, I was going to say that was the easiest, the easiest one you could have. The Coalition Cauliflower, the Cauliflower of Chaos. Um, but at the same time, I think there's the level where you laugh at it because it is a joke and there's a level where you go, you report Winston flying back to Auckland as a power play, which it clearly was. But there's also a point where you move past that and go, okay, but it's also not funny. This is about whether we have a government. This is about the future of our country. And yes, Winston's pulling these power games, but they're deeply juvenile power games. This is like Vampire the Masquerade when I'm 14 years old, tabletop role-playing, ha level power games this isn't actually good politics and i just wish we had a bit more a bit less like here's a cheeky listicle about the top 10 wackiest things that have happened and a bit more so these guys want to run the country right could they do that at some point i mean it's a it's a worry when one of the top stories so far um has been chris bishop eating shit trying to get to the meeting on a scooter right like national mps stay away from scooters have you not learned yet like, he, like it, honestly, if, if Chris Bishop can't handle a scooter and a coffee at the same time, I like it's no wonder he can't handle like completely competing party priorities. Yeah, I don't know. Jenny, what's your kind of view of this shit been so far? God, as someone who used to vampire the masquerade tabletop, I completely agree with yeah. you on that. I was like... going to say there's like few times when you can. Uh, run that metaphor out and everyone in the room understands. Yeah. I knew. I knew you were my people. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I got a real complete picture there of the situation. And I just have to say, I actually read a few Australian stories about our election um, on Friday. And apparently it's been 35 days as of yesterday in terms of how long government negoti- negotiations have taken. And we're coming up to 96 when National sealed the deal with New Zealand first 59 days after the election. So I don't know if we're trying to time this one out or something and going for like a repeat of the past, but it's, I feel like it's not entirely off the table given that it was again Winston. And I feel like you think that this was funny. Um, <laughs> But I just remember I read something on Friday and I believe it was also in Australia, I don't know which outlet it was, but someone quoted Luxon as saying on Friday that they were going line by line through each of the party manifestos, which blows my mind. Like if you're doing that in five minute bursts, you must have the attention span of a rotting cauliflower. There is absolutely no way that that is what is happening behind closed doors. But the fact that I think there's not any real tough public interrogation of these excuses that are coming out about the negotiations is honestly, frankly, mind boggling to me. Like you don't need to be a genius to see that's obviously just a complete lie. Like something is going on there that we're not privy to, but we're just like eating the shit, like pigs at the trough, just eating the shit that the media is giving us. And that mm. honestly is is something else. It is really quite something else. I mean, the first question to ask is, sorry, did any of these three parties actually have a manifesto? Like the Greens produced an absolute banger of a manifesto, but every other party just kind of dribbled out policies every now and then. National had that famous like 32 page booklet that everyone oh kept God. mocking because Jack Tame ripped it apart for not having proper economic modeling in it on QA. Yeah, it called it a brochure. You guys, you guys didn't have policies. You didn't have actually spelled out costed things to take to a negotiating table because you're not serious parties. What are you going line by line through? Like Act's website. Um, <laughs> effectively, <laughs> Act did have a whole, a whole bunch of policies. They're, 
they're fucking ludicrous um, and incredibly damaging. Um, yeah. I can imagine a world where it's apt trying to present each of We want this one. And both Luxon and Winston Peters look at it and go, no, 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 that's <laughs> not happening. You will destroy the country. Because I think even Christopher Luxon knows that a lot of apt's policy is too radical. Like yeah. that's that's the extent that, that's how how destructive Act's policy platform was this election. So certainly Winston Peters will be saying no to everything that Act uh puts forward just because. <laughs> just because he hates David Seymour. But I think one of the I don't know, I don't know if important we can even say anything's important at this point. Like it's beyond that, but one of the most telling things is this slow shift already after what five years of media um being all over Luxon um trying to boost him as a political prospect when he wasn't even an MP yet when he wasn't even part of a national party yet then talking about him being a prime minister and waiting as like soon as, as he was even running for botany then trying to go through that whole thing again once he was made party leader and what well, having like 18 months of saying, oh, you haven't had the chance to get to know Christopher Luxon yet. And now people are starting to say, even in the media, uh, <laughs> like outside of the media, everyone kind of fucking knew this already. Or yeah, because his, his his ratings were just that low at the time. Are saying, wait a second. I thought this guy was a CEO or something. I thought he had experience with this stuff. I thought he was, he was good at doing these kind of negotiations. And people are going, why hasn't it happened yet? Like the... The sheen is coming off at record pace. But also, like, what do people think CEOs do? I mean, this is another thing. Do people think that CEOs are really, like, the brains of the operation, that they sit there and endlessly pour over documents, have a great eye for detail, and make only salient decisions? These are, like, the opposite things. These are, like, not what (laughs) CEOs do. Like, those things don't exist in the same world as money-making successful CEOs. And honestly, it's quite funny to me. I saw a Twitter thread yesterday, maybe, about someone going oh, here's all this, like, proof that, like, Luxon, when he was at Air New Zealand or wherever he was, Virgin or something, that he, like, never oversaw any mergers personally. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with anything. Like, a successful merger is not a barometer of, like, any good work done by a CEO. It's literally everyone who works underneath him who has pulled themselves and the whole team together to get one functioning document across the line that the CEO will just look at, sign once, and then wipe his ass with. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what people expect from a CEO, but it should not have been merger negotiation skills. Like, mm. I would not trust a CEO to feed a small child. That would just be impossible. So <laughs> all this discourse about like, oh, Lux a new business. He'd be a great guy. He'd be like, he's Nationals' top man. Like, he knows money. Therefore, he can run a country. That logic has always just been completely facetious to me. Just saying. I think that's part of the weird sensation I'm having with all of the reporting around this, which is that my brain wants me to be disappointed, but I'm not. I'm like, these three men are deeply unserious and always have been. Winston has always just messed around and everyone went, ah, ha, 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 it's Winston. David Seymour, again, talking about media puffing people up, when he was being treated as like some serious political figure when he was simply the cup of tea deal uh, MP for Epsom pretending to be a party leader. Like, and Christopher Luxon, yeah. So he's a, a white guy who held some important roles but can't actually tell you in a single simple sentence anything he's ever achieved. He worked like, in 198 countries, though. Mm, can he just <laughs> name them all? Like, I'd be really interested to hear him name them all. It's just... 
these three guys have never been actual players, like in terms of actually being serious politicians with serious policies or visions or even ideologies. Like none of this is surprising. And yeah, just completely endorsing Ginny's point. Like the idea that they're just meeting for five minutes over a coffee, having a laugh at Chris Bishop for getting coffee all over his suit because he can't drive a scooter and then leaving for the day. That's what a lot of CEOs do. There's a lot of people that need to be behind them doing the work. And I don't know actually that any of them have really good teams of actual qualified, thoughtful people. And I don't want this to be like they're right wing, therefore they're dumb. I genuinely believe some right wing people somewhere can also be serious and thoughtful and strategic. Probably smart. These guys aren't. Yeah. At least tactical. Like how currently their number one interest in terms of their careers and their jobs is to sit down at a table and go, okay, what can we agree on? What are the sticking points? How are we going to work through those? Where's some quid pro quo? How do we shift this? And they can't even do that. They can't even sit in a room playing Call of Duty for six hours. I would love to see Winston play Call of Duty. They can't just pretend to sit in a room talking and then come out and say to the media, oh, yes, we've made progress on a number of serious key areas. They can't even give you the appearance of taking this seriously. And that still isn't a surprise and no one should act like this is a surprise because this has been how these guys have always done politics and it's how this government is going to operate if if they are able to form it i just this is indicative like i, I think this is a really good uh trial run of what we're going to see over the next three years and that's fucking terrifying it might may probably the most hopeful uh outcome is that one of them just really fucks up and it sinks the government and they have to call an election within the first year because they're, they're that bad at what at doing this stuff. Like, can you imagine if there's a crisis, Christopher Luxon has to rely on these two to get like a major funding or support package over the line and either of them just chooses to that moment to play power politics to try and get... Uh, I don't know, fucking whatever horrible shit like they they think their party faithful wants. I can completely imagine that either David Seymour or Winston Peters holding a government hostage to that. Yeah, we have a, a big public health crisis again. We have a big natural disaster happening again. The, the best we can hope for is a dysfunctional response. And the worst is actually no response or even just making it worse just to be pissy. Because another thing, and this is where I... I will say this is an element of all right-wing politics, but especially these guys, is that they think this is a game. And this is also something that I get with, with uh, Palestine. Um, people are not seriously viewing this as being an issue where people are dying and people's lives are affected and actually serious things do need to happen. It's not just standing up in question time and getting some zingers in. It's an actual important thing you are meant to be doing. It's not just a cool career where you get to talk to the media and they do not get it. They do not get it. Like um, to pull in Chris Bishop again, his response to someone who emailed him about calling for a ceasefire and to be so absolutely petty and dickish and like it was not even a Twitter fight, like it was a comment thread on Live Journal back in the days where you're totally owning someone with your cool facts. It was fucking disgusting. He does not he does not understand that human beings' lives 
are involved and that that matters and that the the end result of that is you get things like this where they're just going to screw around I reckon there is a good chance that Winston's just like I'm going to see if I can beat my record because he doesn't care he knows he's going to end up with ridiculous amounts of power and some little high profile policies he can go back to his followers and touters look at the difference I've made and then he's just going to say no to anything David Seymour wants to do for three years assuming they last that long Ugh, I keep I hate to keep using the word I'm serious because I also don't really like it as a word but it's just it's the word to describe what's going on in our politics right now I think you know, like prior to this election, there are all these uh, fucking idiots uh, making jokes. I'm not even be seriously saying, oh, we should have a grand coalition. There's like, there's like a sector of the media and politicians trying to push that as a legitimate um, strategy that Labour and National should aim for, which is ludicrous. Uh, at the moment, I'd fucking take that. But I've got a real sense at the moment that in terms of any crises happening, or like major legislative needs, National are going to be relying on the idea that Labour won't play the same way that National played over the last six years, trying to just fuck everything up and just voting against everything because they are taking a page out of US Republican handbook on how to fuck with government. Um, They'll be relying on Labour to like fill in that gap when they're uh, coalition partners want to throw shit, whether that's for a crisis um, or you know some of the more major legislation, they'll be aiming for the oh, but labor labor should support this in a bipartisan accord because yada yada yada, um, and then trying to paint labor as somehow being unreasonable for not agreeing with their political opponents. That's really going to be the only way that they're able to deal with anything major over the next three years, I imagine. And again, we just don't know. Like it, this, it's getting more and more likely that this ends up in a second election. I don't, I don't think it's going to, but someone's going to throw their hands up in there at some point. Yeah, and I think it's. I don't know what odds I'd give. So I'll just say fifty-fifty. It's fifty-fifty if Labour continues its time-honoured policy of trying to look like responsible government and waiting, and so they are conciliatory on things where they do roughly agree with what National wants to do, or if Labour sees that they have a real opportunity to get back, not in three years, but in two years or in one year, and if they decide to play hardball and be like, sorry, sorry, you didn't rule those clowns out, so they're your clowns now. Off you go. Have fun. We did our three years with Winston. Good luck. We try to do bipartisan stuff with you and we were in, par- in power. And when we had an absolute majority and then you just fucking walked out on it. I mean, I obviously I wouldn't have asked Labour, but I'm not Chris Hipkins, who is a fucking coward. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. What, what do we got? Anyone want to make bets on whether we'll have a government next week? Oh, there's no way we're going to have a government next week. Absolutely no way. 100% I don't know. They're saying, oh, we're getting to the end of it this weekend. It's gonna take Winston. It's gonna take Winston at least another three weeks to read <laughs> one line of David Seymour's terrible act policy. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't even get through like their like young act brochure without gagging. So I think it's gonna take a lot longer than one week to sort this shit out. I don't think Winston has a gag reflex at this point. I think Winston does like attention, and I think that if if we're looking at a situation of Seymour going for deputy PM and Winston's having to settle for something like foreign affairs, which he kind of loves, but also he doesn't want to be the guy making statements about Israel-Palestine oh, right I now. Bet he, I know you, you know what? I think he fucking does want to be. Oh, that's a, that's a worse thought. My argument was going to be, I think he knows that this is the highest media focus he's going to get for the next three years. 
because he is in many ways, although he's the vital part of the the puzzle, he's also the most junior partner. He's the one most likely to get sidelined as soon as Seymour feels confident to just storm off and do whatever it is Seymour wants to do. And Christopher Luxon will want to hold the spotlight because it's all about ego for him. So I I would just put money on Winston dragging this out as long as he possibly can, also because it makes him feel powerful and because he doesn't care about the impact on real people's lives. Right, lots to look forward to in <laughs> that space. Aren't you glad you tuned in, everyone? But we're all stuck here in the real world having to deal with this anyway, so mm-hmm. at least we can kind of look at it from outside now and then. I, I have no idea. I'm not going to put any bets on anything. I, I mean, it something could change tomorrow i it's bizarre to me that either of the minor parties would be getting deputy prime minister in this scenario um they're they're on like such small percentages compared to national just fucking make them eat it like luxon does hold the power here national does hold the power like neither of them get anything you know if if national if national refused to like take the shit anymore they could call a second election and i think they'd get back in I, mm. I and i think peters and seymour's votes would suffer i really really do national have far better ability to paint this as a as a problem with those two party leaders um because both of them have just burnt so much uh goodwill just in the last like month certainly labor is not looking like it would be able to compete anyway mm. you know so I think if I was if I was national, I'd just be using that as my threat to force these minor these like these junior partners, these fucking like bottle bottom of the barrel scrapers, um, who have managed to cobble together enough undesirables to get them into parliament. There's like, no, look, you're working for us, uh, or we're sending it back and you're both gonna be fucked. But he's he's got nothing. He's he has nothing. He's he's a hollow, empty shell of a human being. Uh and None of his team uh, have any talent. Chris Bishop headed the campaign. He's probably the head of negotiations. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, he's not going to get anything over the line. Anyway, the other major news vacuum currently plaguing New Zealand media, although that's been shifting a little in the last week, coverage of the ongoing genocide in Gaza. I'm fucking done with it, eh? It's, it's so frightful. It's so atrocious that... Our major media organizations have, are covering such a such a oh yeah I'm I'm without words I'm without words. I mean I I don't want to just repeat myself every time it comes up. It's obvious Israel's the aggressor and just fucking stop. Um, but the thing the thing I think has become just really clear the the difference this week is that if if people are still out there honestly saying to themselves that it's complicated, honestly saying to themselves that Israel has the right to self-defense. I want those people to understand that Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli Defense Force think you're a fucking sucker and they are laughing at you to still be buying this propaganda when they are clearly signaling they're going to start invading places they told people to evacuate to, when they are taking photos of themselves outside hospitals with boxes labelled on all six sides as medical supplies, you know, the kind of boxes you always see in hospitals where they just have a big A4 that says medical supplies on the side. In English. Come on. In English, being carried upside down. Don't be suckers. Come on. 
You can think that the history is complicated and you can shut your eyes to all of the realities of what's going on, but you are being taken for fucking fools. And our media are being taken for fucking fools when they just report things like, oh, the Israeli Defense Force say they found a tunnel. They say they found a tunnel and we can see a bulldozer in the shop, which possibly just, you know, dug the tunnel. the tunnel. But hey, um, they said they found a tunnel and they said they found weapons. And Hamas is just like, this is a lie, but you know, we're just going to judiciously use the word said if it's the Israeli Defense Force and claimed if it's Hamas. And the United States is just like, well, we have intelligence reports on it, but we're not going to tell you what they say. Oh, who they're from. They're, they're confidential. Like, just, just fuck off. It's a fucking joke. Again, it's one of these things where you have to laugh because it is so obvious. And yet people are dying. Every patient in intensive care at El Shifa Hospital is dead now. Babies are dead. And as someone who has had a baby in intensive care in hospital, I take that extremely fucking personally. And I'm really glad for Blue Sky having automatic like hiding of graphic images because I cannot fucking do that right now. But it is just, I, I can't even fathom how angry the history books are going to be about this period of time, about the complete failure of our politicians and our media to just do the most basic thing. Like, and, and, and to make the situation even more fucking bizarre, I had to give props to UK Labour MP Jess Phillips this week yeah, for actually resigning hell. her front bench role to vote just for a ceasefire, not even for an end to the fucking occupation, just for a ceasefire. Keir Starmer lost a huge chunk of his front bench. This is not serious politics. And the only reason it keeps happening is because of the fundamental Islamophobia and racism of our culture that treats brown and Muslim lives as not important. That is simply the only explanation for it. And I'm so over people expecting to treat this like a debate and expecting to have their stupid opinions informed by incredibly obvious propaganda taken seriously. Yeah. Well, everything that you said, obviously. And also I think this week, the past seven days, been particularly telling how how I think the Israeli media or Israel itself knows that I think around the world generally the tide is turning against them, but their response has been to produce even more deranged propaganda. Um, and I think I think Justine, a friend of the show, tweeted about this uh, yesterday, how Israeli media interviewed Brian Tamaki and called him one of the leaders of the Maori tribe and asked him when he decided that the Maori tribe, I say this with full quotation marks, I'm quoting them, I'm not, this is not me, when he decided that the Maori tribe would support Israel, which I thought was just, I thought I was hallucinating when I read that. And I saw the video and I still thought I couldn't believe it. But it's honestly just ridiculous to me that the quality of quote-unquote convincing propaganda is getting so bad, so transparent, so amateurish, but there are still people that are going to be ride or die for Israel, and that just blows my mind. I can't imagine being in a world, it's not even like a media literacy problem. It's just like, how can you, A, be so callous and unfeeling about basic human rights, necessities, and existence, and then watch all this stuff and be so disconnected and be like, oh yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, we should both sides this issue. Like, as Steph said, there's just been so much death involved, and I think the fact that a lot of the world's leaders are not taking this human death toll seriously at all is really, really damaging. It's awful to watch. It's very disheartening. Yeah, it's it's sickening. And, you know, you mentioned um, the way that media 
often juxtapose what Israel said with what Hamas claimed. Um, and there's this other uh, configuration they use, which is calling everything the Israel-Hamas war, which uh, is fucking ludicrous at this point. It's a it's a war on the Palestinian people. It's collective punishment. This is very clear. Almost every fucking expert in the world is is saying that this is the case. But even beyond that, you know, the, the fact that they are they're trying to both sides of that way is propaganda in itself. Why aren't they referencing Doctors Without Borders? Why aren't they referencing UN Special Rapporteurs? Why aren't they referencing any other number of NGOs or um, genocide or Holocaust academics um, or Holocaust survivors? Why aren't these people being asked? What about the medical staff in Al Shepa Hospital who have like said things on record? Why isn't this making into our media uh, as the balance? You know, you can... There's only so long you can say that all these people are Hamas without actually reporting what these people are saying or the reality of the situation um, and just making these kind of broad sweeping claims to effectively muddy the waters for the IDF, Um, especially when you're running the IDF line verbatim and you give the most right-wing pro-Israeli groups in New Zealand right of reply on fucking anything, including uh, getting the Israeli ambassador um, and the and his deputy, the deputy chief um, of mission here, to reply to like the stuff around the humanitarian crisis of the atrocities. What the fuck do you think they're gonna say? Like they they, they don't get the like, and, and then without really pushing back on that at all um, is the other real issue. You can't you can't have these people on who have been shown to be peddling falsehoods. Same goes for Juliet Moses as the head of the Jewish Council. You know she's been caught out saying things that just aren't real. You have to push back on it. You can't have someone on just to give their line um, and then just treat that as verbatim or as a form of truth as a serious journalist or news organization. It's you're just abrogating your responsibility to inform the public at that point when there's such an overwhelming amount of evidence, information, and analysis from people who actually fucking know what they're talking about. These people are propagandists. They're genocide deniers. Anyone saying no ceasefire at this point is uh, is complicit in genocide. That like that is just a fact. And we have seen some slight shift in the media. Um, they're getting a few more voices in. Uh, when we had Tamim on uh, to speak with us uh, for the podcast we released yesterday, uh, a community, a group of um, Palestinians here and other community members got money together to put together a poll. Really surprising that no media companies here who fucking love polls had, had managed to do this beforehand. It showed that 60% of people support an immediate ceasefire and only 12% disagree at all. The rest are neutral or unsure. And that's in the media environment that consistently two sides this. Like, if that. It, imagine what that poll would say if you were accurately reporting things, if you were adding even a half sentence of historical context to your reports of the situation. Like, it would be overwhelming. I mean, 60% is already pretty fucking overwhelming, but come yeah. on. 60% to 12%, that's five to one. Um, I want to be very clear. That's across political parties. Yeah, for every political party currently in parliament, there are more people who agree with immediate ceasefire than disagree. Larger chunks of neutral and unsure are on the right wing, but even for ACT, even for New Zealand First. It's, and, and that like has gotten to the media. I've seen a couple of stories about that. The tide seems to be shifting. We've seen more uh, alternative Jewish voices uh, being platformed as well. Friend of the cast, uh, Justine Sachs. Uh, I've seen her interviewed as a spokesperson for Dayanu a couple of times now. And it's just the fact has taken four weeks 
you know, four or five weeks to even get to this point, which is still like far from good enough. I've heard I, this is hearsay, um, but I'm unsurprised by it. And I'd posited this before, but I've heard that some people in media who have wanted to do stories on this have actively been blocked by decision makers and, and media leadership. Honestly, like, I'm, I'm just happy to believe that wholesale, like incredibly unsurprised. I can believe it from a political perspective, and it's because of how organised and well-resourced the Israel defence lobby are, people like Juliet Moses. Like, I remember when I was working in Parliament at one point, um, Golriz Garaman, who Juliet Moses just loves, uh, made a tweet, a tweet, referring to Jesus Christ as a Palestinian refugee. And that got blown up into a multi-day media story about whether Golriz Garaman was trying to erase the entire concept of Israel from history and thereby kill all Jewish people. And it's like, Just, are, are you? how are you taking this seriously? How is this something that yeah. we're expected to react to when it is so over the fucking line? And just to throw a complete curveball there, how are we supposed to believe anyone like uh, the Israel Institute or Juliet Moses or the IDF talking about anti-Semitism while doing nothing about, for example, Elon Musk, once richest man in the world, openly sharing great replacement theories on the huge social media platform he now owns. No, no, no. no that IDF's happy to post their fucking propaganda on Twitter, but but the real problem is that someone might say from the river to the sea. Okay. Okay. And that's yeah. I can so, see why if you're a news editor, you don't want to deal with the absolute flood of abuse and harassment you're going to face if you actually report historic facts. But you know what? You should do it anyway because you're the media and that's your job. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyone who doesn't is a coward and I despise you. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Well, this is this has kind of been the um, other big story, I guess. Uh, you know, we, we all know Elon Musk is an anti-Semite. Um, you know, this has been pretty evident for for a little while now. Um, but in the current environment where anti-Semitism has been going through the fucking roof, like on, on the back of, of what's happening in Gaza, um, this is a, a horrible thing that goes alongside that is all forms of hate immediately escalate. So anti-Semitism, anti-Palestinian uh, sentiment, uh, Islamophobia, uh, these have all been going fucking wild. Uh, we've got a very active far-right um, white supremacist uh, media cooperative, I guess, for lack of a better word, who is trying to cash in on this stuff, who are, who are trying to attach themselves to both sides of this conflict uh, to try and push their um, their own genocidal uh, ideologies. And they're being, being incredibly open about it. They're being about as open about it as the IDF is that they're doing ethnic cleansing, which is uh, to say it in public constantly. And... That's culminated this time in Elon Musk, uh, as you say, Stephanie, uh, just running around his own website, just not even using tropes, <laughs> just like saying horrible anti-Semitic shit. I don't know what the solution to that is. Well, I, I think we're well on the path to, uh, I mean, and people have been saying this for ages, but I, I feel like we're, we're at some critical mass of Twitter collapsing. And um, there's some good coverage in Media Matters this week about how major advertisers are leaving because, hey, um, IBM doesn't want its ads next to pro-Hitler shit. Um, yeah. And 
Twitter's CEO, um, lol, uh, Elon's little sock puppet, um, keeps saying, oh, no, 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 we've got all of these safety protocols and everything. And then Media Matters is like, so why is this, why is this ad for Major League Baseball next to this uh, very openly anti-Semitic great replacement meme? And I loved the the article I saw um, by a blue sky was Media Matters just being like, hey, you know why this keeps happening? Because there's a lot of anti-Semitism on Twitter because Elon likes it that way because he restored all of their fucking accounts that were banned previously and he openly encourages this kind of rhetoric. So, yeah, if you advertise on Twitter, uh, you are going to be next to Nazi shit. Um, And at some point, enough people have gone, wait, my stuff next to the Nazi shit? I thought I could just be next to the nice tweets. There aren't any nice tweets left. So it's it can only just collapse to the point that whoever he's in debt to either takes the company or takes his kneecaps and and the why company. Not why not both? Why not both? both? Um, yeah, it should be both. Yeah, it's not going to be the anti-Semitism that takes him down. It's going to be the financial cost to his investors of the anti-Semitism which takes them down, but that's what they fucking get for endorsing anti-Semitic billionaires. So if, if everyone involved could just kindly see their way to the bin, that would be great, and society will go on without them. From a digital media perspective, Jenny, I, I have to, like, tap you for that. Um, yeah, yeah. But how how viable is that as an idea? Like, is this going to oh, yeah. be enough? No, this is 100% the only way that Twitter collapses is because people start pulling um, all advertising. Um, And because, like I think I mentioned on my last episode with Dita, most of these sites, whether it's mainstream media or sort of any large digital publication or digital outlet or digital source, these are all kept afloat via advertising. Like the amount that people get from subscription plans like, I don't know, Herald First or um, Twitter Blue, like it's a drop in the pond. Like these people make most of their money of advertising and with large companies like i think apple as of this morning is also pausing all advertising on x lionsgate so a bunch of the movie studios are pausing that as well these are the things that keep these digital platforms alive and if enough sponsors pull out then there's no way it doesn't collapse but that is the only viable way it won't be because people are suddenly like morally obligated to condemn twitter and move all the social media off site it's going to be because the site shuts down because he can no longer pay to run it because no one's going to advertise on Twitter. That's just the, that's just the financial reality of it. Do you think yeah. it can reach a critical mass? Do you, do you think that is something that is likely to happen? Or will advertisers just be like, ah, that's enough. I've, we've made our statement. I honestly, previously, I think previous to maybe the past two weeks, I would have thought that critical mass wouldn't be in our near future. But I think that Elon is just so diseased in the brain that he has somehow managed to alienate even the staunchest corporate allies. And I think that with some of these corporate allies, once you, the reality is that even though the even though Apple is no great humanitarian, um, it's exactly what Stephanie said, right? They don't want to see the ads next to Elon saying that, what do you say, that Jewish communities support dialectical hatred against whites or something, like just some ridiculous extreme quote from Hitler verbatim. Like, Apple doesn't care about people, no fucking way, but does care about how its product gets perceived. Mm. And I think especially currently in this mainstream media, pro-Israel environment and cycle, it is especially damaging that Elon is saying these things that are anti-Semitic. And I think that 
these companies are not pulling it because they're like, oh, we love the Jewish people. Some of these companies will pull because they are part of the Israel propaganda cycle machine. And so they will pull from these platforms. But I think the motivations here aren't important. I think the fact is Elon has, by some master stroke of dumb fucking assery, has isolated people both on that were on his side and I guess his um his adversaries. And I think that will be the downfall of the platform, no doubt. We can all wait and hope. Well, uh, I have one more story. Oh, yeah, tell us. One more media issue to just raise, um, just because I saw this the other day, is uh, good old Mark Dalda, big fan, um, has a story up as of yesterday on Newsroom about long COVID and how it's a real thing and how uh, our government and our public service have no plans for it because um, Labour apparently didn't think it existed. I mean, it's not that he says that, but it's like over the past couple of years, I have seen Mark constantly posting yeah. about, so I asked MB if they have any plans for long COVID. I asked Ministry of Health if they had any plans for long COVID. I've asked Treasury if they've done any estimates about long COVID. They've finally had a summer intern do an estimate about long COVID, but that's not a formal Treasury estimate. Anyway, it's a very sad, long story about a lot of people's horrible experiences which are ongoing um with long COVID and kind of raises that this could be a very significant issue that I'm really glad we have a shitty dog whistling anti-vax right-wing incoming government to deal with because that'll be fine um but yeah uh got got to give props where we can to the journos who actually keep following up stories and provide context over time on important issues that matter so yeah shout out Mark yeah it's always Good to, like we we got a whole bunch of incredible investigative journalists here, um, who are just kind of hammering away, uh, to try and get this stuff through. And the rest of the gallery and the media institutions that just get in the way of that, that create an environment where the good investigation is not as effective as it should be. Um, uh, I also despise them for that. I uh, the the long COVID issue and um, kind of the ongoing pandemic. Um, which, you know, is over now. Uh, it's something that um, I've been planning to do a midweek issue um, on for the last couple of weeks. So we're going to try and get someone uh, to do something on that soon um, because we really do need like a full hour, hour and a half kind of talk through the current situation um, and what that's looking like. Uh, because, yeah, it's very it's very rare to see that. Uh, pop into the news cycle at this point well once again there is a lot happening but not much happening at all that's going to continue until we have people in parliament uh i have a small bug on me uh that was just running down my neck but well, we does not need to hear anything more about that <laughs> thank you for joining me uh stephanie no worries a quick plug for an event if people are in wellington on 2nd of december i am performing in the christmas cabalesque show at fringe bar it's going to be funny and very very messy so uh tickets are on event finder fantastic get in on that one uh, and thanks for joining us as well jenny no worries i'm not performing at a cabalesque thing over christmas but you should go to steph's one for sure <laughs> <laughs> And uh, if you want to support us in other ways, we've got the Patreon link in the summary. Uh, help us to build uh, independent progressive uh, media here in New Zealand. All the money that uh, comes from our subscriptions keeps all of our media free to access for everyone. Uh, so thank you so much to everyone who uh, is supporting us um, and get on board if you're interested in helping as well. Uh, share, like, subscribe. We're going to have another 
few crazy weeks until Christmas. Uh, and we'll be trying to keep you up to date with that uh, with one or two episodes uh, every week for the rest of the year. That's been another episode of One of 200. We'll catch you next time. If artifices are then I'm living a pointless life But I'm learning all your lessons Fuck your politics There's no distinction The words are now It's paid with good intentions And I'll admit that I'm At a loss for what to say When they cross us across the ought to stay Cause I live amongst the people every day Forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell